this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. So our scripture today is from the book of Esther, and before I read it, I want you to stick with me on this for a while because I was inspired last week when I spoke from the letter to the church in Hebrews, where Hebrews in 11 and 12 talk about the cloud of witnesses, and the writer of Hebrews tells the church to remember these heroes of faith, the people that came before them, the people who showed them what it means to have faith and to endure through some challenging times. And so I wanted to go through some of these heroes of our own faith and remind you of maybe some of the people we don't talk too much about who are just have some amazing stories. And so I want to talk about Esther today, Queen Esther. And before I read the passage, I need to give you the backstory because this whole book encompasses one big giant story. Esther's one of two books named after women in the Bible, and it's just an amazing story, and I want you to know about it. And let me just tell you, just in case you don't already know this, the story of Esther really makes, it makes like soap operas and Jerry Springer look like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's just wild and outrageous and full of uh, manipulation and lies and people being impaled and killed and patriarchy and just a, a craziness. And so everybody buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride. And so here, how, this is how the story goes. I'm going to tell you the backstory and then we're going to read our scripture together. So Esther takes place about 475 years before Christ. And Today, the story of Esther is still celebrated in the Jewish festival of Purim. 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 I never can remember which way it is. And it sounds like a fabulous celebration because everybody dresses up in their characters from the, the book of Esther and they retell the story or they reenact it and there's food and celebrations and it's a great time. People are still telling this amazing story of Queen Esther and how she saved the day. And it starts with... The people of Israel are part of, they are, they are in exile again in the diaspora of, first it was the Babylonians who took them over and scattered them all over the place. And then after about 100 years, the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and now the Jews are part of the Persian kingdom and under the Persian king. And the Persian king had a queen named Vashti, and the king was throwing this wild party for days and days, uh, lots of alcohol, just a wild time, and he decided that he wanted his queen to come and to show her off. As one commentator said, he was not inviting her to the party because she was good at trivia. He wanted to show his queen off, and Queen Vashti refuses this humiliation. Now, in a patriarchal time and culture as this, where women had zero say over much of anything in their lives, this 
is shocking that Queen Vashti refuses the king and to endure this humiliation. And so he responds by getting rid of her. Queen Vashti's gone. And someone suggests that the king find a new queen by looking and taking all the most beautiful women in his kingdom and forming a harem of women. And from this harem of women, at some point, the king would decide one was his favorite and he would make her his king, queen. And Esther was one of these women who was taken to be a part of the king's harem. Of course, she would have had no say over this. And after some time, she wins the king's favor, and she is made queen. And Esther was Jewish. And the king didn't know this. They evidently didn't talk too much about their past or their upbringing because it never came up. He had no idea that she was Jewish. And Esther happened to be not only beautiful, but she was raised by her uncle Mordecai. She had been orphaned at a young age, and her uncle raised her. And Mordecai gets them all into some trouble. And there's some other side stories here, but this is Kara's uh, synopsis version. So the point you need to know is that Mordecai gets them all in trouble because the king has a trusted advisor named Haman. And Haman is so power-crazed and so full of himself that he wants all his subjects to bow down to him. And everyone does that except for Mordecai. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And he doesn't bow down to Mordecai. And Mordecai decides, look, if he won't do this, then the entire Jewish people are a threat to me and my authority, and he wants them gone. And he begins to do something that is as old as time. Frankly, it still happens today. He goes to the king, and he starts in with those people, (laughs) those kind of people. They're different than us. There's people in your kingdom that aren't like us. They don't belong here. You know, just as a side note, a little soapbox moment here, language is important And we should always pay attention to how people, not our own selves, uh, our, our government figures, our religious figures, it doesn't matter. We should always pay attention to the language, how people talk about other human beings. When they start saying they are those thugs, those rats, those animals, anything that less than human child of God, we should be concerned. And so Haman does what people have always done. He fans the flames of fear with the king, and the king signs off on a decree to allow all the Jewish people to be killed on a certain day. Now, the king didn't even pay attention to what group this was. He just said it's okay, they can be gone. And so our passage today picks up when Mordecai gets word of this decree that all the Jews are going to be killed, he gets word to Esther and he asks her to help. And I'm going to read in probably one of the most famous passages from the scripture. And it's in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. And I invite you to read along with me. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hathok and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces 
know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, all alike are put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come to the king for 30 days. And when they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to tell Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Perhaps you've come to royal dignity for such a time as this. And then Esther said to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, nor day or night, and I and my maids will do the same. And after that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Who knows? Perhaps you've come to this place for such a time as this is the most famous line from the book of Esther. Perhaps you've come to this place for such a time as this. All you've been through, Esther, all the hard road and terrible things you've had to endure that are beyond your control, but maybe God has brought you to this place and to this moment to do something. Queen Esther decides to step into the proverbial arena It took a couple times, but she decided to do something. She hatches a plan of her own, puts her own life in danger. She starts by asking the king if they could have a a dinner together, and she invites his trusted advisor, Haman, to come to this dinner. And Haman is just so full of himself, he can't believe he gets to dine with the royal couple. And then at this dinner, she's making sure the wine is flowing. And at just the moment when the king is totally enraptured by her, she asks for one thing. And he says, of course, what is it? Let me and my people live. Now, this was shocking to the king because, one, he didn't know she was Jewish. He didn't even realize what group of people were involved in that decree of death. And he goes out to the garden to think things over. And meanwhile, Haman realizes that Esther has turned the tables on him. And he begins to panic, and he throws himself down on this couch and um, begs for mercy from Esther. And the king comes back in and sees that scene, and he thinks Haman is making a move for his wife. And he decides in that very moment he knows exactly what he's going to do. Haman is going to be killed, and he has Haman killed, impaled on this pole that Haman had actually been saving just for Mordecai. And then Esther doesn't stop there. She asks for the king to to issue a new decree that says if anyone tries to kill the, the Jews on that stated day, that they have a right to defend themselves. And that day comes, and the Jews fight anybody who tries to kill them, and they live to tell the story, and Queen Esther saves the day. She is a testament to courage. 
She's a testament to what courage looks like in the face of unknown. And there was so much about Esther's life that she could not control. She had almost no control. She couldn't, a woman born in her time and place, a woman conscripted into this harem, a woman made queen, a woman living as a Jew in the midst of diaspora. It was hard times. She couldn't control anything, but she decided to risk something to have courage to help God's people. And when I hear this story, I'm mindful of just how easy it would have been for her to look the other way. How many times have I done that in my own life to say, you know what, this is bigger than me. I'm just me. I can't do anything about this. It's not my problem. I can't help it. And yet Esther decided to risk to speak up, to not choose silence, to try to save God's people. I remember reading a book on courage by Brene Brown, this Ph.D. social worker, researcher, really, and she wrote about something that seemed so obviously simple, and yet it's stayed with me, and that is how they measure courage and how they research courage. And she said that courage and vulnerability go together, that you can't have courage without being vulnerable. And she said that's actually how they research courage. And she said, we can measure how brave you are by how vulnerable you are willing to be. You can't be a courageous person without risking something. And I was remembering a road trip I took some years ago with some girlfriends, and I was in the back seat with a friend of mine, and we were on her Kindle. I hadn't played the game in forever. We were playing the game of life on our Kindle. And every time there was a, there was a certain square where you could choose and the game of life, and you could either choose the safe and secure option or the risky option with big risks and big rewards. And guess what? Every single time I chose the risky card. Give me risky every time that's a game. (laughs) Life, my life, I want something different. I want safe and secure. Give me safe and secure any day. Who knows, Mordecai tells Esther, maybe you've been brought to this place for such a time as this. And I think one of the big challenges, at least for me right now, is that navigating through these days, it feels like someone has taken the safe and secure card off the table for so many of us. That there's so much unknown and uncertainty, and we are well aware of all the things we cannot control right now. How many times when I've been talking to people have I said, if someone could just give me a date that I could put on my calendar where I don't have to worry about this pandemic anymore... Then I can plan. Just tell me the date, and I can get organizing. But the unknown, the uncertainty of it, so much of Esther's life was not in her control. She had lost her parents at a young age, taken from her home to the palace, no control of the political climate of her day, living as a Jewish person in a big empire, and yet 
we see a woman who used the power she had and the voice God had given her to do something. Courage and vulnerability. And thousands of years later, we're still telling her story. And I think of a friend of mine, 40 years old, two kids, five and seven, who's recovering from a brain surgery. In the matter of a few weeks, her life has been turned upside down with a devastating geoblastoma diagnosis. And the night before she had her brain surgery, she wrote this. She's a, she's a beautiful writer and minister, and even though the tumors already impacted her vision, she's still writing so beautifully. And she wrote before her surgery, she said, the picture is emerging for me, dying like this and facing the diagnosis will be the greatest gifts for all the days I have left to give. And there's so much out of her control. Their world's been turned upside down, but for those who know and love her, who watch her face this, the only word really that makes sense to describe it is courageous. And after her brain surgery, she wrote two days later that what she wants to remind herself to help her hold, recover hope, as she said, she said, she quoted from Lamentations that says, the, fla- the favors of God, the favors of Yahweh are not all past. His kindness is not exhausted. They are renewed every morning. And I'm mindful as I speak to you all today that I can't begin to know all that you are facing in your life, the worries and the fears and the burdens that you carry today. But God knows the burdens of your heart. I hope you know that. God knows the burdens of your heart this day. And even though you might not yet be able to see the road ahead, who knows? Maybe God has brought you to such a time as this. So be strong, take courage, and do not be afraid. Amen.